the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Let's talk about finances and money. I'm Rob Black. Oh, it's a complicated process, but it's not that complicated learning how to get rich. And when I'm rich, I'm not talking like Richie Rich. I'm not talking about that little blonde kid who had too much money. I'm not talking about Macaulay Cock and playing him. I'm talking about getting to the point where you have enough that you can do what you need to do while you're on planet Earth. First things first, you got to learn that you only can work till about 60, right? And that's where it gets kind of tricky. Because you're able to work and be happy and be good looking and make sweet, passionate love in your 20s and your 30s. And then it starts to slow in your 40s and your 50s. And then your 60s, you're done. Same thing with your ability to work. You're able to do crazy stuff in your 20s. The amount of work that I did in my 20s is crazy. Um, I I was basically running two companies at the same time at one point. So let's start with a very simple concept mistakes. I have a friend who taught baseball. He was one of those kids who, um, as a youth, he was a prodigy, a baseball prodigy. And he made it all the way to the Japanese leagues. He wasn't quite going to make it to Major League Baseball. But one of the things he said is, teach your kids how to hit the fastball low and away. And he said the way to do that is to set up a, a ball, tennis ball, in your in your garage on a, on a rope that's low and away. And have them swing low and away, low and away, low and away, low and away, low, and do it again and again and again, repetition. So it, it, that kind of concept taught me, let's teach people about money. And some of this is super repetitive, but... If you want to become rich or wealthy, you got to live within your means. It's as simple as that to start, right? That's the biggest mistake people make. They're like, I need an Xbox. You don't really need an $800 computer to play games on. You want it, you don't need it. So you got to learn to live within your means. I currently can't do it at times. When you have a spouse and kids, you, you sometimes want the best for them. I've got a friend who got a divorce from her husband. She's got two young kids, eight and 10 years old. And she took him to Star Wars Disneyland the first week that it opened. And trust me, I know she has no money because she came to me and said, I have no money. I'm going bankrupt. Why was she at Star Wars Disneyland? It's because she's not living with her means. Kids will love you for better or for worse, even if you divorce. They'll grow out of it. But she's buying love. She's buying affection. I bet the dad takes the kids to, you know, Universal World next week. And he doesn't have any money. He ran a faux company. So the biggest mistake people make, I think, is not living within their means. And it was taught to me well by a girlfriend, Judy, who she was a great artist. And today, she's a fantastic artist. She lives in Australia with her husband. She does a lot of street paintings. She does a lot of uh, chalk paintings. She does a lot of watercolors. Watercolors are incredibly difficult. Oil so easy. Watercolors are so difficult. And all she wanted to do in college, well, see, no, no, what all I wanted to do was take her to dinner, have a movie, and then make love, sweet love. And those three things, the first two were pretty expensive in my world. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe we were going to Bennigan's and getting the nine ninety nine steak dinner. 
You can tell you a steak dinner today doesn't feel like it's nine ninety nine anymore, right? But I didn't live within my means. And when we broke up, it was stressful. And, you know, at one final last ditch, let's get back together. Let's go to see a Broadway show in New York. Let's do this. And she broke down and she goes, all I really want to do is sit on the couch and, and draw each other. I, why was I going so crazy not living within my means? So here I am, 20-ish years old, and I didn't, couldn't live within my means. I was trying to impress her. I was trying to buy love. Next big lesson is is is... The big mistake that we make is we don't set goals. Um, early on, I knew that I didn't want to work for AT&T. Early on, I knew that I didn't want to work for a big company. Early on, I knew that I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to set my own future because I saw my dad work till the day he died. And I, I think with fruit of children, when we fall from the tree, we either are or we're not. My dad was a staunch Republican. I don't think any of his kids are. My dad was, you know, a hardcore alcoholic. You know, I, we, we kind of said, no, yes. We made decisions based on what he was. Or wasn't. And we want it to be the opposite or the same. So I saw my dad work to the day he died. He didn't have a goal. He didn't have, I want to live in Florida and see the grandchildren. I don't want to live in Florida. I've been to Florida. Florida's gross. It's sticky. Their national bird is a flying cockroach. It's huge. It's disgusting. So you got to set goals. Those are the two biggest mistakes people make. They don't live within their means and they don't set goals. I don't want to work till the day I die. But what do I want to do when I retire? And I don't have that quite nailed down yet. I'm not sure if it's going to be a Home Depot greeter. Or if it's going to be a dog um, uh, instructor, you know, someone who helps your kid, your dog get under control. Because I think hey, people love their pets, but pets are expensive. And I, I want to bring the cost down because I have enough money. Why not do, you know, charitable work per se? Why not teach kids how to pet cats at the vet shelter? Because if the cat ends up biting someone, it gets put in solitary confinement for 30 days and no one wins in that situation so you go in and you pet a cat you pet a cat you pet a cat you do charitable work my friend brian cooley at cnet taught me that he said be charitable with your time go pet cats um not saving enough here's where i'm a little freaked out is i know i'm gonna stop working at some point i'll probably do podcasts or something like that i see myself continuing to do this lessons of an old financial lessons of an old man I could see myself doing that podcast. Oh, when I was 30, I wish I would have done this. I love that drop. Ronald Reagan lived till 93 years old, and he probably, had he not been president, he probably would have gone broke. He was an actor in California. He was governor of California, right? So he, he probably had a pretty enough, good enough career. But how many people do we know that lived to 93 that aren't ex-presidents and ex-governors? It's expensive to be demented. It's expensive to have Alzheimer's. It's expensive to have bad health. And then I look at my current house, and sometimes I don't do enough maintenance on it. I do a lot of preventative maintenance, but I know I'm going to need a roof at some point. It's not in my budget. I didn't need a roof last year, so I didn't budget for it, but I know I'm going to need one down the road. So living longer, you got to plan for unexpected expenses. A budget, it's important because I want you to save 10, 15, 20% of your salary. So you kind of need to know what your salary is, and then you need to take 10, 15, 20% of it out. And then after that, if you can make the rest of it work, I'm good with it. I don't care if you're eating you know, crack cocaine on top of your Wheaties in the morning. I don't care. I can't judge your life. I can't be that guy. All I can tell you is you want to save 10, 15, 20% of your income. So you got to know what your income is, and then you have to live off the rest of that and pay your taxes, if you know what I'm saying. Too much debt. Oh, boy. Um, I think that's another mistake that people make all too often, not have enough cash in case of an emergency. Um, no disability insurance. I'm more likely to have a stroke today and not be able to come to work tomorrow than I am to die. And yet life insurance salespeople are like, you need life insurance. I'm not going to die until I'm 78, according to the records, according to uh, actuary tables. 
but there's a good chance I have a stroke before that and I can't work anymore. Or I get hit by a car. Disability insurance is up important. These are mistakes you don't want to make. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I think things should be simpler than they are. Or maybe we just make things more difficult than they are. If you can't really explain it on a napkin... Or if you can't use crayons to explain it, it's not worth investing in. Whether it be a new IPO, whether it be an old 100-year-old company, you got to be able to explain what you're owning. People, one of the mistakes they make is they get it over their head. So, like renting versus buying a home, it's pretty simple. And yet we make it very difficult. Um, I wish that weren't the case. But again and again, I see it that way. If we move in a few years, rent a home rent an apartment, rent a condo. If the housing market's too expensive for you to buy where you want to be and be happy, rent. Beautiful thing about renting is no maintenance required. I recently saw a show, I want to say it was on PBS. I can't imagine that's true because I don't watch PBS. I know you're saying, I love PBS. My family gives PBS every year. Okay, snotty, snobby people. Um, But in it, a young woman was being interviewed and she goes, I'm so glad I sold my home. I have no maintenance to do. And clearly the undertone was, you're paying a lot of money to live where you live. And they're willing to include maintenance in the cost of that, of what they're charging you. And it was lost on her. But hey, if you don't want to do maintenance, rent a home. Um, a friend of mine, he rents and he doesn't fight with his landlord ever. He wants a new kitchen. He wants new rugs. He wants new everything. He's been there for 10, 12 years. And he doesn't even bring up the issue with the landlord because the landlord doesn't raise his rent. If he gets new kitchens, new carpets, new everything, the landlord's going to raise the rent. Can't get a loan. You got bad credit, rent. It's pretty simple. Can't can't afford a loan is the same idea. And if you can put money to better use, rent. When I was young, in my 20s, I didn't mind having two roommates, three roommates, four roommates. I didn't care. One of the homes I lived in college, I, I rented the whole thing for $1,000. And it was a five-bedroom place. And I charged everyone like $220, $230, 225 230 and my room was free. So I got into a housing situation where I sub-rented, and the landlord didn't care. It was my side hustle, so to speak. And I used my money for better things. Beer and pizza. Whatever good college kid spends his money on, right? Why spend it on rent? So I think the pros on renting is simple. It's short-term. It's it's not a big commitment. Have you ever dated someone and you're like, I know I'm not going to marry this person, but we're going to have fun. We're going to eat well and, you know, blah, blah, blah well. And we're going to, well... It's going to be short term. That's okay. As long as you both know the rules, that's okay. Same thing with owning, uh, renting a home versus owning a home. Um, you don't have to have great credit to get in a, into a rental situation. That's a plus. Here's the negatives. You build no equity. You're, you're, well, you build equity, but it's the landlord, not for you, right? And I know that makes people crazy. It makes people insane. I can't believe I spend $2,000, $3,000 a month in rent. That's $36,000 a year, and you know, I'm just paying my, my landlord. I want to pay. Like, I get it. People get angry renting. There's no tax benefits to renting, which is one of the craziest things. And I, I think some of the recent tax code changes has made it more attractive to rent than to own in the state of California because you're able to deduct less. So that's something to consider. Rents can be raised. It's not as predictable as you think unless you live in a situ- an area where you can't raise rents more than 2 3% per year. Rent control, landlords hate. Landlords hate it. 
and when to buy. You're going to be there five plus years. Pretty simple. Son, you just finished college. One day you're going to want to know if you should buy a house or rent a house. And when you put down roots, buy a house. Buy an apartment, buy a condo. Uh, careful in the condos. Like in Sacramento, I don't think they appreciate as well as they do in California, in San Francisco. I know Sacramento is in California still. I might annex it if I get, if you elect me governor of the state of California, I will drop Sacramento from the state. And Stockton. I think Stockton should be part of Canada, my personal opinion. What else would I do? Well, any spam emails, those people go to uh, the electric chair immediately. No trial. And I think that's about my whole platform. So you buy if you want to, like, have your kid in a good school district. You know, you, you can control that kind of stuff. Or a great neighborhood. Sometimes in renting, you don't get the best of the best, so to speak. If you buy, you want to be responsible for maintenance, utilities, and upgrades. That's pros and cons. In the last few years, owning a home in the mountain, I've learned how to crawl under a house, how to get dirty, how to hang with spiders. I kind of like it. <laughs> you're saying you're getting into bad, aren't you, Rob? Uh-huh. I don't have a rifle. If that helps, you buy if you got good credit. You buy if you uh, have the funds for the closing fees, the property taxes, the insurance, the maintenance. It's not that hard to figure out if you should buy a house or rent a house. Buy a home, rent a home. Positives of being a homeowner, you get some fairly decent tax breaks, although they're less than they used to be. You get to pay yourself rent. So in a second home scenario or a first home scenario, you look at the end of the year of how much principal you paid down and you go, hey... If I could still sell this for what I think I can sell it, I just paid myself an investment. I just gave myself some money. Like, it's forced savings. I like that. Nice thing about owning a home, and I've never been this guy, but you can say, I want to take that wall down. I want, I'm going to do open space. You know Larry Hagman from Dallas had Naked Sundays? I know you're saying, Dallas, the TV show? Larry Hagman, the oil tycoon guy? Didn't he die? Him, his wife, and his kids would be naked on Sundays. You could do that in a home if you own it kind of thing. You could say, I'm going to build really big fences so the neighbors can't see how weird I am. I think he wore his cowboy hat, to be fair. You don't want the, you know, some parts to burn. Um, property values can go down. I know people who've gone bankrupt by buying houses. I've never met anyone who went bankrupt buying stocks. Period. Never. Now, people are like, well, I know a lot of people who made money by buying houses. I know more people who made money by buying stocks in their 401k. I know a lot more wealth has been created in the stock market. Be careful what you kind of fall into. Um, and keep in mind, when you buy a house, you got to stock it with like plates and knives and TVs and couches. And that's expensive. There's always more costs than you think when you buy a home. I've actually seen people buy homes and like never furnish it. There's a person who lives two doors away from me. They only have one room. They've got three kids, a wife and a husband, and they only live in the master bedroom. All of them. All of them. It's kind of weird. And it's a three-bedroom house or four-bedroom house. That's kind of weird, right? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. You got to keep it simple. If you can't explain it simply, it's not worth doing. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I often talk about the stock market and putting a little money aside so it grows into more money. I'm not greedy. I'm not flashy. I use the same green plastic cup for water that I've used for about eight years now. I've got shoes that have holes in them. I'm not all flash and pomp and circumstance, but the stock market is something I love and I hope you love it too. And whether it's buying shares of Disney for your kid or something like electronic arts and take two, cause he plays Xbox or Sony PlayStation two. Oddly, you know, 
there's a big debate in which is the better console, the Xbox or the uh, PlayStation. And I, I go towards the Xbox, and you're saying, why? There's more unique titles that are better for on the Sony PlayStation. And I'm like, I own shares of Microsoft. I put my money where my mouth is. Which is the better phone, Samsung or Apple? For me, it's Apple. I own shares of Apple. So it's, I keep it that kind of simple in my life. The stock market is a fact of everyday life for a lot of people now. We monitor it. We invest in it. We pay a lot of attention. But how did we get here? Have you ever played Civilization? There's like, you start in like 2000 before Christ, and you're a caveman, and you have to say, do you want to look at rocks, or do you want to look at wood? Do you want to learn how to build, or do you want to learn how to fish? Same thing, you can, you can look back in history and figure out when investing started. The Code of Hammurabi, which basically was 1800 BC, I think. And uh, it was Mesopotamia, I think. <laughs> it was basically modern-day Iraq. I know you're saying, wow, Hammurabi. Historians argue that the historic code provided the framework for a lot of essential laws. Again, if you play civilization, you'll, you'll learn this. That's probably where I learned it, or maybe I learned it because I actually lived in the Middle East for a while. It was a legal framework for investing. The law established a way to pledge collateral in exchange for investing in a project. In the code, the land was pledged as collateral, and anyone who broke the obligation was punished. So that's, that's where the history of Wall Street goes all the way back to. Now, most modern-day investing goes back to the 1700s in Europe. But I I think we can make a case that it's actually Mesopotamia. The Amsterdam Stock Exchange is regarded as the predecessor of modern investing. And like, it's kind of funny because the literature of the time started to write about, you know, this man was very, very greedy. And he, he, it was as if, you know, horns were coming out of his head. He was, he was, he was rampaging like a bull, bull market. This investor got really scared and he decided to hide away for the whole winter bear market. So literature started to kind of forming it all. But the structure of the Amsterdam Stock Exchange itself made investing more straightforward, standardized, paved the way for the modern stock exchange. So it wasn't about, you know, give me land. It was about give me money. Pension funds started to become a thing, and that contributed to the history of of Wall Street, the history of the stock market. The Presbyterian Minister's Fund, 1759. Throughout the century, companies and organizations began to realize the value of a good pension fund, and they began investing in it themselves started in churches. How can we have enough money to live until we die? But I think things got kind of heated and hot in the Industrial Revolution when we said, children, go to work. I know. You think about it today and how pampered children are. I have a dog and my kids have never picked up dog poop. I swear to God, I picked up like dog poop at age five. My kids, no way. Right? Okay. I love Cartman. Cartman, you don't have to pick up dog poop. I get it. So the Industrial Revolution, it was rough working conditions. It was child labor. But it also gave us banking and investing. You may not have made a lot of money, but they gave you cash. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this cash. I'm going to go put it on my mattress. Bad idea. You went to a bank and put it in a bank. And you started to invest it. So instead of spending all your money on needs like food and shelter, you started to save. And that helped banks go, you know, hey, that guy's getting everyone's money. Why, why, why don't we start our own bank? And then, hey, we'll offer something better than they do. We'll give you a toaster. I know. You're saying toaster? I know. It's a thing. You know one of the funniest pieces of advice I got from a, a butcher once? I said, how would you cook this steak? I always like asking people who butcher meat, how would you cook this? And he goes, well, I have a toaster oven, and uh, I'd set it at, you know, and I'd broil it on each side for three minutes. I'm like, toaster oven? He's like, I'm a single guy. I don't need a big oven. Why do you need all that space to heat your meat? Oh, that sounds dirty. So the 1800s gave us some more modern financing, modern investing. That's when you started seeing people like Morgan, 
J.P. Morgan, John Paul Getty, Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, and they got big. They they weren't like, let's be an industrial bank. Let's not be a small Pennsylvania bank or a Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania bank. They're like, let's go big. Let's be national. And it even went international. So some of the world's largest financial institutions came out after the Industrial Revolution and really got us to where we needed to go. Um, A lot of financing for the colonies. You go back and think about that, you know. It wasn't, I'm not going to say Christopher Columbus, but he had the queen. And the queen was like, here's some money. Go buy ships and, and sailors and bring me gold back. Bring me spices. So investing in the colonies. And you kind of saw how that turned out. Colonies got money. And, and we, we, we told our the queen, like, hey, we're going to throw your tea in the in Boston Bay. We don't like the way you tax us. But we took their money. We colonized the United States. We got our religious freedoms. And then when it came time to pay, we're like, no, we don't like the way you're doing that. 1800 started to uh, see the issuance of stock markets. There's a financial journalist named Charles Dow. Guess who he turns out to be? Dow Jones Industrial Average. He created the first version of a stock index. He put 12 crucial stocks in a a sector. It was an industrial stock, a mining company, a railroad, a couple steel mills. And then, you know, we kind of got a little specialized for it. And we went like, let's go with a railroad average. And we called that one the Dow Jones Transportation Index. I like the Dow Jones Transportation Index as a modern dude, even though it's been around for 200 plus years. I like it because planes, trains, and automobiles, things that transport us, if the stocks are doing well, it kind of hints to us. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. What I mean, you know what I mean? kind of hints to us that the economy is going to go well. If we're moving stuff, whether it be our big old Oompa Loompa butt to Hawaii for vacation, or whether it be goods from China to the United States or from San Francisco to Ohio, if we're moving stuff, we're, we're economic activities following it. So now today we've got 30 companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average 30. And we can thank Dow Jones for that. Not Dow Jones, Charles Dow, financial journalist. Um, I don't care about the index. It's actually kind of ridiculous. I may get on the microphone tomorrow and say, uh, the Dow's up 354 points. NASDAQ's up 263. If you don't own those indexes, why do you care? Uh, I don't think they're good indexes. I'd rather talk about the Russell 2000, which is like the small caps. Wilshire 5000, which is all stocks. Um, I'd rather say the NASDAQ's really about 10 stocks versus saying it's all about tech stocks. Because the top 10 stocks in the NASDAQ, it's a market weight index. If they have a good year, the index could have a good year. So why do we even talk about this crap? 1934 saw the um, Securities Exchange Act. And to be an investment advisor, to be a financial planner, to be work in the industry, you have to learn what the Securities Exchange Act is. There's a bunch of laws that govern the secondary trading markets because the act exchanges across the country, which includes stocks and bonds, can be executed efficiently in secondary markets. It is an incredibly boring document, but it's an important one. It kind of um, leveled the playing field, so to speak. Now, keep in mind, stock market has gone from Hammurabi and Byzantine and Mesopotamian kind of things all the way to where we are today. And to say the United States and the stock market are synonymous with each other is kind of silly, but we live in the United States. Sorry, Canada. I don't count you. But we live in the United States, and we go through recessions. And it's something that affects the stock market. It comes with the territory. Um, best I can tell, since the 1800s, late 1700s, we've gone through about 60, 55 to 60 recessions. Some of them are really, really short, six months. Some of them are really, really long, three years. Um, 
the one of the things that you know you'll hear a CFP, Chad Burton, say on the air, is always have three years of cash ready in retirement because the stock market rarely, if ever, goes down three straight years. It's kind of goes hand in hand with recessions. Now, recessions I like. Recessions curb enthusiasm. Recessions curb excesses. Um, I don't want to be Jack and the Beanstalk. I don't want to plant a little bean and have it go straight to the heavens. And then I crawl up to the heavens and I'm like, ooh, golden goose. Who lays golden eggs? I get bored of golden eggs. Like, oh, goose, can you pick up your own golden egg? It's too much. It's too good. I want some great times for seven years. And I kind of want some bad times for two or three. It makes me appreciate the great times. So I like recessions. I look at them a little bit differently than you. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing more. Modern investing really hit a, a peak in the 1960s when trades were like $400 for a trade. And in the 1990s, they went down to $5 a trade. It's pretty awesome. It opened the door for average people. Think about that for a second. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. If you ever have a question, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Sometimes it takes me a year to get back to you. Sometimes it takes me a week. Sometimes it takes me an hour. I, I don't promise anything, but I do my best. And you know, within reason, it's rob at robblackshow.com. Um... I would always love for you to come out and chat at seminars. I like to meet people. Uh, it can be pretty lonely doing radio and television. I write, produce, and edit most of my own stuff. Um, some people make me look good, whether it be a cameraman or a board op in radio. Cameraman and TV, board op in radio. Um, it is what it is. One of my favorite companies to look back on is Netflix. Uh, because I was in San Francisco 20 years ago, living in a flat. And it was awesome. Working at a TV station. It was incredible. Uh, if you take a look at the time, it was at the end of the first internet age, and there was excesses everywhere. Living in the marina, going to the Safeway Marina, everyone was six foot three or taller. Like I was suddenly short. I'd come from the East Coast, and like, wow, everyone's good looking, and people's underwear was expensive, and people's clothes were expensive, and people's shoes were expensive. Um, but one of the things I remember from that era was coming home on a Friday night and going, ooh, wonder what I got from Netflix this week. And I don't know if you remember, they used to have two um, envelope packages or three envelope packages. If you got two movies at the same time, you can keep it as long as you want them. That was better than Blockbuster where you had to go back and trade them in, turn them back in to get another one. This, you can keep as long as you want. And they even gave you a mailer to put it in. All you had to do was give it back to the mailman when you're done watching it. So I binge watched a lot of things that I never binge watched before, like uh, Sopranos. And thus was born binge-watching. In the 90s, I was too busy. But in the 2000s, I started to enjoy life a little bit more. Like I said, everything was much more expensive and nice. And it was good living. So Netflix went from a DVD service to a different service, right? They went to streaming. And people were pissed off. People were angry. People were upset. People were, like, waving their fists. Like, why would we want to stream something? We want the DVDs. It's better quality. It didn't even make sense. People were angry. They were rabbling. But Netflix stock got through it. And you can look back at the last 15 years of Netflix stock, and you're like, holy mackerel. This too shall pass when there's a blip, when there's a, a problem. I was interviewing Reed Hastings once on radio. And go back 20 years, I'm a younger man, right? I'm a red-blooded American man. And, you know, the Internet was just still very young. Google was out there. Yahoo was out there. And if you want it to how shall we say indulge in your R-rated persona. You can Google like um, 
Netflix movies with nudity. And certainly someone put together a list for you. And you're like, let's add that to my list. Salacious, I know, right? So when I had Reed Hastings on, I made a huge mistake. I didn't do my homework. So I'm interviewing Reed Hastings, and he was kind enough to give me a two 30-day trial. A 30-day trial for Netflix. And back in those days, we're like, me and my producer were like, we'll take it. It wasn't play it payola. It wasn't plugola. It's just like, hey, try the product before I come on air and know what you're talking about kind of thing. And uh, so he comes on and I'm like, um, I got a, it's great interview. He's fantastic. And I, I make a mistake. Uh-oh. Can you see this one coming? I go, Reed, um, you know, I'm in my 30s and I'm a red-blooded American guy and maybe you could start an adult entertainment movie division. Like, you know, because... Back then, you'd have to like go to a store and spend $90 on a movie. I don't know how the, the industry got away. The adult entertainment industry got away with that. But movies were expensive. And then you'd, you'd get one, and I never bought one. I only heard about people who did. And when they got it, they were incredibly disappointed. Like, yeah, it, it looked, it was called a Hot Chicks in California. And it, 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 there was no Hot Chicks in it. They all like looked like they had like tire tread marks on their body and stuff. Like... It wasn't good. So there goes 90 bucks. So I said, read, um, and I'm kind of marrying this image together, trying to tell you who I was and where the interview went bad. I get read. Why don't you start a, instead of a red envelope, it could be a green envelope because wasn't there a famous porn made in San Francisco behind the green door? And he goes, did you not know I'm a member of the Christian coalition? And he hangs up. I'm like, no. Oh, where do I go now? Like, I didn't have a, a response to like, how do I get out of this interview? I'm like, well. Reed's gone. The investment advice there is know your subjects and don't ask stupid questions. Um, it's called be an educated. And that goes into investing as well. I still read the Wall Street Journal. I've done it for over 20 years. I still read Barron's. I've done it for over 20 years. I used to read Business Week and then Business Week started having, um, how shall we say, financial problems. And they would hire a kid out of college and he's writing business stories. And I'm like, nope, never translated well for me. When you would see the picture of the author and it would be like a 20 something. And you're like, nah. so Barron's and Wall Street Journal are great reads. If you can do it, the Financial Times is awesome. If you can do it, The Economist is great, but that's really stretching it. That's some hardcore stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I just had to edit a thought out of my head because I was going to tell you one thing that I read that scratch and sniff that is inappropriate, but uh, I'll just keep that to myself. So, Education super important. I still read the Wall Street Journal. I still read Barron's. I still read the Financial Times. On occasion, I pick up The Economist, but that's hardcore. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Don't be shy. It's pretty simple, money and investing, when you put it into simple perspectives, right? We'll talk soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.